Hello, you're listening to the Stay Whole podcast. I'm Sanjay, your host. My aim is to help you demystify the world of health and wellness using evidence-based lifestyle interventions that will enable you to live happier, healthier, and more productive lives. This revolves around three key principles, eat, live, and move. Lifestyle medicine has become increasingly popular within the last 10 years, but what exactly is it? And what does a lifestyle doctor do? In this episode, I had the privilege of talking not to one, but two lifestyle doctors, Raj Kassandas and Chang Sung Park, to answer those questions, plus many, many more. Raj, along with his wife, founded The Lifestyle Doctors, which is a private practice that aims to deliver holistic, whole-person care that helps to reverse or treat patients' conditions. Raj is a general practitioner and more recently completed a diploma in lifestyle medicine with the British Society for Lifestyle Medicine. He is passionate about supporting patients in overcoming psychological factors and stressors which all lead to ill health. Chang has been in general practice since 2009 and in that time she witnessed the impact that stress and lifestyle has on patients. Her passionate belief is that finding health in every sense requires dedicated and generous attention to the whole of our being, physical, mental, emotional, social and spiritual. Chang has also been practicing yoga for over 10 years and is a qualified yoga teacher. She uses yoga as a lifestyle intervention to help patients improve their overall health and well-being. She too has completed a diploma in lifestyle medicine from the BSLM. In this episode, we discuss lifestyle medicine, some of the obstacles facing this movement, as well as their top tips on how we can all improve our own well-being through five simple practices. To find out more, please check the links in the episode description or on the show notes page on my website. So here they are, the lifestyle doctors. Let me get it out of the way. Silent, silent coughing fits. Um, Raj, Chang, thank you again very much for for spending time with me this morning. I know you guys are very, very busy and we really tried to get this to work. So um, again, I think the second time we've had three people on the podcast. So it's always quite exciting and uh, and interesting to see where the conversation is going to go. I think... Um, there's lots to talk about, which I, I know we're, we're all itching to get into, but let's just start with an introduction. Chang, do you want to just tell us a bit about you and, and what you do? But also at the end, if you could just let me let, us, let the listeners know, why did you also decide to become a doctor? So intro and then answer that question, why Ooh, you became a doctor. Okay, so I, I am a doctor. As you say, I'm a GP. Um, I work in London. I've been a GP now for maybe 11, 12 years. Um and I primarily work now for a university practice. So I work a lot with young people um, and also working at the COVID hub <laughs> as of last year. It's been almost a year now. So that's what I'm doing right now. Um, and in answer to your question, why I became a doctor, gosh, it's like being in medical school again, <laughs> a medical school interview. I, I think like many people, I just had an interest in, in sciences. It seemed like a good thing to do. Uh, my brother was also training to be a doctor at the time and I, yeah, you know, I just, it wasn't for any uh, grand ambition or anything. I, I, I fell into it. And as you do, when you do your training, you sort of go and find your interest. And I, I think general practice was the thing for me. I went into it directly after my undergraduate training and I've been a GP ever since. Excellent. Thank you, Chang. Raj. Um, so, um, I grew up in an Indian family. The options were, uh, doctor, pharmacist, um, accountant. <laughs> so I, yeah, I went for doctor. Um, I think a similar thing to Chang, it was really that, um, opportunity to, to make a difference. Um, you know, um, involve science in what you do and just be, be working with people really, you know, and that was the, the main driver for me. 
And again, you know, um, qualified and just, you know, it was, it was a real tough grind in hospital medicine. Um, and just nothing, nothing was quite, um, you know, uh, seeming like the thing I wanted to do. And then I got into general practice and I just knew that this is what I wanted. It was that cradle to grave, you know, um, holistic healthcare. It's really what I wanted. Um, well, it appeared like what I wanted anyway. Um, but you know, soon the frustrations really started to kick in, you know, general practice. Um, it's, you know, we know there's something like 300 million consultations every year. You know, we know that 90% of, of, of healthcare input goes through general practice, you know, but the problem was those 10 minute consultations and I just couldn't get over that. And it was really, really tough trying to practice, you know, holistic whole person healthcare within 10 minute consultations. And it always felt like we were practicing quite, you know, reactive, the, the buzz term reactive rather than proactive medicine, you know, and, uh, you know, I was just, just getting all these, experiences and realizations and that's what really you know brought me towards lifestyle medicine yeah so you mentioned the the 10 minute appointments which is i guess one of the obstacles or hurdles when you're trying to practice this holistic uh lifestyle medicine approach i mean what are the other issues that you you you've you both i mean i guess you've experienced in your time as as being in general practice what are some of the i guess issues the wrong word but what are some of the obstacles or some of the, the things that we need to try and overcome um, well, I think for me, um, I, I completely echo what Raj was feeling in his practice, having practiced for so long. Well, it's not that long, but but 10 years, you, you start to recognize that actually what we do is is valid and it's, and it's good and we, we need to use the conventional medicine approaches that we've learned through our training. But uh, there's so much that when that patient goes out the door, it's all the other stuff outside of that 10 minutes that makes a difference to their lives. And so with that recognition, you know, as a, as a physician, like, well, how can I make a difference to the other 23 hours or whatever minutes of someone's day? Um, so that's what I really felt we were not addressing is the, is the environmental. Uh, sorry if I cut out a bit there. Um is the is the rest of the time that we're not with that patient what are the things that they are doing in their lives so the impact of their environment their relationships their personal history um so i think as a clinician we we weren't really trained to look at that stuff you know we weren't really trained to be asking about that stuff and even in general practice which is meant to be the most holistic of all uh, medical fields um it's almost a cursory question about well okay well how you doing? Are you? How's your mood? Do some exercise and eat well, you know, and that's about it. Um, so I felt there was a real limitation there, and I feel we we really have the potential. We have an opportunity that we're not tapping into. I think that's where really lifestyle medicine comes into its own. Yeah, and I think actually picking up on that, I think there's there's a whole uh, conversation here around um, evidence based medicine. When we started at medical school, people always talked about evidence based medicine. Um, you know, now it's a given that we use evidence based medicine, but actually, um, something that came out of that was actually that we weren't practicing um, more experiential type medicine. Um, 
And actually, the well-being industry, interestingly, was uh, you know going full steam ahead. And and I just feel that medicine is now looking more into the well-being space. In fact, I'm delighted it is. Is that we're looking into more global well-being, and actually we're playing catch up with with the well-being industry. <laughs> You know, that's that's how it feels, really. And I think that's a wonderful, exciting space to be in. It was one of my, as a personal trainer, I remember used to, you know, I look at lifestyle a lot. I mean, that was part of my role was to look at what, like, exactly as you said, Chang, you know, it's all good and well. What are you doing with me for an hour in a gym? But what are you doing for all the hours that you're outside of the gym? Um, and one of the obstacles that used to come across, which is kind of alluding to what you were saying just now, Raj, in that you're playing catch up with the well-being industry, that I would maybe ask someone about their sleep or ask someone about their diet and, and fiber or water, whatever it might be. And often, often the result might come that, or the answer might come that, oh, but Sanjay, you told me to do this, but my doctor said something different. And it was always, I was always playing that game against, but the doctor said this. So I, m- many years ago, I think, think, why? Are the, and I didn't know, I didn't know how the medical industry worked. I didn't understand it. I, I, luckily, touch wood, I was the kind of person that didn't have to go to the doctor that often when I was younger. But I just think, why are the doctors saying that? Why are they? Why are they not agreeing with me? And exactly, it's kind of what you're saying there, Raj. Is that the, the well, the well-being and the healthcare or health and wellness industry have been kind of talking about this lifestyle approach for a while. And maybe as you write quite rightly said, the medical, the, the healthcare when, when it comes to the medical side of things is, is playing a bit of catch up. As as doctors, when you went into your training before you went into training, did you you mentioned some of the frustrations that came across that? Were you aware that this is how the system worked? Was it? Was there an awareness of as new doctors that this is how it was, or was it as you were doing your training that you realised actually this is maybe a bit different to what I thought it would be? I mean, for me, I'll speak for myself, but absolutely not. I think you're steeped in that training, which is working within a particular model. You know, someone comes with a problem, you think, okay, what's the problem? What can I do about it? Okay, X, Y, and Z, medicine, procedure, intervention, off you go. Let's treat the symptom, and. That was very much in my head for the longest time, even as a general practitioner. Um, so I think the training in itself of doctors, in the UK at least, there isn't much emphasis in prevention or, or, or wellness. It's just a different way of thinking. This, this was not in my mind at all until possibly about five, six years into actually practicing as a GP, I started to recognize that actually maybe we got this all wrong somehow um you know we're taking the wrong approach that's how i felt about it and it's only now that i'm discovering other doctors who've had the same frustrations and felt the same way for such a long time and i think part of it is actually that um a lot of these concepts such as mindfulness i mean mindfulness we we take for granted now you know everyone talks about mindfulness and it's so mainstream now um but i just remember a time when i was in my first year of medical training and i was doing psychiatry and um i was discussing with a consultant this consultant was absolutely fantastic she was really open to to lots of new ideas i think she'd actually been a bit of a hippie in the past actually um so <laughs> we talked about mindfulness and she said why, why don't you um you know i had some experiences i'd traveled around um kind of india southeast asia and um, done some work on mindfulness at the time and she said why don't you come and um do some 
do some meditation or mindfulness with with some of our patients and you know i went along i told some of my young junior doctor colleagues about this and they thought it was just you know off the wall really kooky uh but we did it and um you know what fantastic outcomes we, there, there were people in um you know with with schizophrenia really severe depression and you know it was, it was tough for them but they actually really benefited and every week, uh, the attendance just got better and better, and it was just fantastic to see. Um, and 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 uh, if you actually look at the number of, if if you look at mindfulness and track it through history, so for example, around when I qualified, around two thousand six, two thousand seven, there were three mindfulness studies in the literature. Okay, <laughs> um, going to um, sort of 2013, 2014, when I qualified as a, as a, you know, finally qualified as a GP, there were around 400. Um, last year, I think there were about 1,200 studies with the title mindfulness in the academic literature. So you're seeing that that increasingly it's becoming so much more mainstream. Even the um, the programs such as IAPT, which are kind of psychological therapies that we refer to routinely, use a lot of mindfulness in their approaches. So you know that sort of stuff is really fantastic, really encouraging, and uh, you know just just wonderful to see things like mindfulness and other well-being strategies in more mainstream medicine. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, isn't it? Because when you think about mindfulness and you look back at the history of it, it it's been around longer than anything. I mean, it's centuries, centuries old. And, and, uh, and for, and for you only to see, you know, those two or three articles when you were at medical school is crazy. And obviously there's been a big burst and maybe some of that's alluding to the technology behind uh, analyzing the benefits of mindfulness or I, I don't know, again, I'm not, I'm not a scientist on that realm, so I wouldn't understand it, but maybe we've got better access to understanding the brain and looking at brain waves and scans. So, but yeah, I, I, again, I, for one, just like you are very, very happy that that has that explosion has happened because I think there's a, there's a huge benefit there to, for everyone to, to see and experience. Um, and we're talking about, we're using these phrases, lifestyle medicine, holistic approach. Uh, I think it'd be quite nice to define that as well, just to help people understand what do we mean by lifestyle medicine? I mean, isn't all medicine supposed to help your lifestyle? Again, that's a question I've had from a, from a listener in the past. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, lifestyle medicine shouldn't actually exist. It should just be medicine. <laughs> um, but but what we what we define as lifestyle medicine, if you look at the the technical definition as per the the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, they talk about evidence based therapeutic interventions, um, largely whole foods, plant based, encouraging physical activity, um, sleep, stress reduction. Avoiding risky substance uh, substances, uh, more social connectedness, um, and they talk about it being delivered primarily by physicians, and the aim being to sort of treat and often reverse chronic disease. And they talk about lifestyle being the first line of treatment for lifestyle conditions. So that's the sort of definition by the by the American College, um, and again similar uh, from the British College. I actually um, prior to this, so yesterday, I conducted a small survey, okay, from with with five pay, five people who were not medics and five doctors, okay, and I asked, "What is a lifestyle doctor?" It was quite interesting, um, and the. The non-medics, sorry, we break people up into medics and non-medics. Um, so, um, <laughs> how dare so you? It's a common. <laughs> I know it's a common medical thing. Anyway, um, 
So I asked, I asked the, the non-medics, um, I got answers like, a lifestyle doctor is someone who fixes your house and makes your lifestyle better. And the other thing I got was, <laughs> <laughs> they're a life coach. That's, that's, that's what I got. From the medics, I got um, lifestyle doctors. Is, is that a thing? So that was one answer I got. They weren't even aware of it. Um, and other medics wow. actually, um, you know, were, were talking about things like nutrition, sleep, physical activity. So they absolutely understood it. But, you know, one, one of the problems is people don't understand what lifestyle medicine is. And people don't understand kind of, you know, what we do when I say I'm a lifestyle doctor, you know, what does that mean? And that's one of the issues we're facing because people, you know, like I, I said, medicine's playing catch up with the well-being industry. People know what a, what a personal trainer is, a dietitian, a nutritionist, you know, people understand, you know, an osteopath, um, people understand what this stuff is, but with lifestyle doctors, they don't. And actually, if you look at the number of practicing lifestyle doctors, there's not a huge amount that are actually doing this. Um, you know, it's being really popularized um, by people like, you know, Rangan Chatterjee, Hazel Wallace, um, Tim Spector. They're doing a lot of fantastic work, um, but I'm not seeing it practiced that much. A lot of people are talking about it now. There's a lot of buzz around lifestyle medicine at the moment, but it's just not being done in practice. Where's the block then? What's what do you think? Again, we talked. To, I mentioned earlier what needs to change. I mean, what where do you think there's is there a, is there a, a, an obstacle in the way? Is there something that needs to to shift? Is it is that a mindset thing? Yeah, I think I think there's um, the barrier of of the lack of time um, in in kind of routine general or NHS practice. I think that is one block, um, but I think there's a lack of understanding as to what this is and what the benefits are. I mean, I, I actually tried, um, you know, when I, I set up the lifestyle doctors because first I went to the NHS, you know, I really wanted to practice lifestyle medicine within the NHS. And I knocked on, on doors and I said, look, you know, this is lifestyle medicine. These are the, be the patient centered benefits. There's a return of investment to be made here as well. You know, I presented the case, but no one took me up on this. And I tried and I tried and I tried and just got nowhere. And in the end, I set up the Lifestyle Doctors as a, you know, private venture. Um, it's not what I wanted to do, but, uh, you know, um, I thought I'll go and do this. I'll get a proof of concept. And eventually what I want to do is try and take it back to the NHS. So I think, and, and again, I think it's, you've just highlighted that for you it's obviously very something very important something you're very passionate about clearly and the conversations i've had with you this is something that you you really truly believe in um and i think looking at from a, a the patient perspective as well i think the traditional model of going to see a doctor and getting a prescription you know that kind of goes out the window a little bit when we start talking about well i guess there still is a prescription right when, we, when you go and see a lifestyle doctor it's just may not it may not say take two of these three times a day with food don't drink alcohol it might just say you know get up do some deep breathing go for a walk make sure you eat some vegetables uh, you know you get the idea so i think there's do, that do 10 push-ups with a carrot in your mouth <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i think i think often it, that's what's required, right? I think maybe if that's the if, if if people just need something to go away and say, okay, well, this is what I need to do. And I, and I understand from a, a lifestyle intervention 
you, you get what, 10 minutes? Is that right with the, with patients in, in NHS? Right, so you get 10 minutes with, with a patient. I mean, trying to understand all of the things going on around that one issue that they might be coming to see you with. And if you've not seen that patient before, how on earth are you supposed to sort of start this this way of, of, of interven- interven- intervening into their lifestyle to try and help them? I and mean, I work on a lifestyle change program for the NHS on, on diabetes and we get nine months. You know, I get nine months with the patient and each time I, I, I'm with them, it's, it's a group session. Okay, but they're, they're with me for an hour, hour and a half and then they get one-to-one. So we got the time. So maybe there, there's certainly, I think from my, as a non-medic, <laughs> I think... Uh, I can see that that is a that is an obstacle because uh, yeah, until the doctors can get more FaceTime or re- I don't know if it's going to be repeated or I don't know how I don't, I don't have the solution unfortunately but there needs to be a shift there so that doctors lifestyle practitioners can actually start to get into the weeds of actually what can we start to think about changing and then until that happens it's just going for 10 minutes as you quite right said it's oh you know what yeah your your blood glucose is a little bit high it's not got too high we need to go on medication I recommend you go and eat a healthy diet and do a bit of exercise. And then the patient leaves and they don't know what to do. I think the time factor is, is a concern, uh, you know, for us, if we want to practice in this way, because as you say, you need a lot of time to actually find out about someone and try and help them affect change. But I think it's also a massive barrier for other doctors uh, because when we're trying to sell this approach to other doctors, you know, other doctors say, well, I can't, I've got, you know, I've got, diabetes to control heart failure hypertension their depression I've got five six things already I've got to tackle in that 10 minutes I can't start to sit there and ask them about their diet you know um I, but I think that actually I had that mentality too when I did the training I thought I would love to be able to spend time to do this but actually when you start even if you start really small patients really are receptive to it and and I also had this perception as a doctor that Patients would want the medicine. They want a prescription in their hand. They don't want to be told, add an extra vegetable to your porridge or salad or whatever it is. They're not going to listen to me. But actually, when you take the time to really understand someone and try and find out about their lives and, and you're, you've got that genuine intention to help them in the way that we think is best in this holistic way, they are very receptive. And as a doctor, I think that's hugely rewarding. It's changed my practice completely. Even, you know, I'm working with Raj at the Lifestyle Doctors and we have the the luxury of time with with clients. But even in my NHS practice, I have changed very radically the way I approach consultation, even if I only have 10 minutes there. So I think it is doable and we need to spread that word and that excitement in doctors because there is doctor burnout too. And I think it's because... As doctors, we feel very impotent sometimes as to how we can help people, really. So I think, yeah, no, absolutely, Jane. I mean, I mean, I think time is certainly a barrier. Um, I think, I think actually, knowledge is also a barrier. And um, and what we're finding, I mean, if if you look back to uh, you know the the founder of medicine, if you look at Hippocrates, you know, he's quoted as saying, "Let food be thy medicine." <laughs> Actually, it might be a misquote, but, uh, you know, Hippocrates was really into food and exercise all the way, you know, back to the founding father of medicine. And and actually, you know, we've in mainstream medicine, when we talk, when I talked about evidence based medicine, it's largely been, um, you know, pharmaceutical medicine. 
And actually, increasingly, we found that people are starting to research, um, you know, lifestyle interventions. And actually, if you look at the history of this back um, through the 1970s and 80s, there were people like Pritikin and uh, and Dean Ornish, doctors um, in, in America that were doing work around lifestyle and they're getting fantastic, fantastic results. Um, doing things like reversing uh, uh, coronary artery stenosis. You know, they were doing great work with, with bringing down cholesterol. Um, and all this, all this work was going on. It still didn't get a huge amount of traction. But if you look into kind of 2000, 2010 was when the American College of Lifestyle Medicine was, was set up. So actually quite late to start, you know, setting up, you know, a college for this. Um, the British College of Lifestyle Medicine only only started in 2016. So this chap called, called Rob Lawson set up the British College back then. So you can see it's really in its infancy. And they actually set up a diploma, thankfully, that Chang and I have just done, actually. Um, and it was just wonderful to see see all the evidence base around lifestyle medicine all in one place. And as we gather more evidence-based then we can convince more and more doctors to look at these approaches. So there's a, there's a learning there as well, as you mentioned knowledge and, and understanding from, from the doctor's side of things as well. So I think it's almost, there's an extra, it sounds like this diploma and I've, I've looked, I guess I've heard of similar ones, but it's, it's an, you know, it's an, it's something a doctor would have to go and do like you, like you guys have done, right? You, you, you're interested in it. You want to do it. So I guess you mentioned that there isn't that many lifestyle doctors out there. There, there could be, and again, I'm, I'm generalizing. There could be an, a, a small percentage of doctors that may think, you know what, I don't want to go off and, and do a diploma. I'm quite happy with the way things are. So there's, there's a, there's a little shift. There's a mind shift that needs to sort of happen there. Um, from the patient side, and I'm quite happy. I'm quite glad to hear Chang you saying that patients are quite receptive to this because. Again, my perception and, and, and very small experience of my family members of, who, who go to doctors frequently is that they go to the doctor and it, I've got to care for how I word this, but it's almost like they want an easy solution. It's like if the doctor said to me, oh, I have to do 3,000 steps and as you, you know, eat a carrot or add a vegetable here, it's just, oh, that's too much effort. I've, I've got to think, I've got to go out and then I lose motivation. Whereas if I've just got to remember to take a pill and that's going to make me better, well, that sounds like it's so much easier. So I think there's a there's a, there's a shift there that needs to happen on both ends. But again, I'm very happy to hear Chang um, saying that people are more receptive. And even my experience on this, on the diabetes prevention program is that Yes, there are some patients who are like, why am I not just getting getting a medication? Why am I not just getting a tablet? And others, as you quite rightly said, Chang, are, hey, do you know what? I tried that and it and it did work. What else can I do? And there's a there's a genuine interest there. And then, and now I'm hearing people saying, you know what? I don't want to take medication. I, is there anything else I can do? And I think when patients come with those questions, it gets the medical practitioners to start thinking a little bit more as well. Yeah, and I think um, the key there is that we have a responsibility to give patients that choice. You know, if you're a doctor and you don't know about diabetes prevention program, you don't know that you can reverse diabetes through lifestyle, then how are you going to give the patient that choice? You know, if a patient comes to you, you diagnose them with diabetes, here you go, take metformin, that's the, off you go. Do some exercise, lose some weight, off you go. But you're not giving that patient the full range of options you're not even asking them are you interested in lifestyle may i help you there you know let's let's get some more information going i i think that's where 
as doctors, we do have that duty to find out more. And, and I felt I was very ignorant in that sense. And I think the diploma and the BSLM and the, you know, these, these, um, uh, societies are, are, are great because they, they bring people together. They get the evidence in one place. You have, you can have the deep dive, but if you don't want the deep dive and you are interested to some degree as a doctor in what we're talking about, I think there are more opportunities out there to learn about lifestyle medicine, even without doing a diploma, it's coming. Um, and I think a lot of our colleagues and people that we met through the BSLM are also involved in education, uh, undergraduate education for nutrition, for example. Things are coming up. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. I think this um, the patient going to the doctor saying, can you give me something to fix it, that I think that is slowly changing too. People want to be empowered to do things for themselves. Yeah, and I I think one of the um, you know key things as doctors uh, we should be doing is 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 do no harm. You know, and when we're sometimes prescribing these medications, patients are getting getting side effects, and you know, especially we see you know doing the care homework I'm I'm now doing. You see. A lot of what we call polypharmacy, so patients on 10, 15, you know, uh, 20 medications sometimes, and they're all interacting and they're all, you know, often they, they can be doing harm to the patient. So why, you know, don't we start with lifestyle first approaches that don't have side effects, you know, and, and that's what we should be really encouraging. And picking up on Chang's points, yeah, so you're seeing universities, for example, um, Imperial, UCL, you know, they're now doing lifestyle modules. Um, I know Brunel's setting up a medical school as well here in um, close to where we are. And again, they're looking at lifestyle medicine as, as one of the things they, you know, want to want to introduce. And it's just fantastic to see, um, you know, in, uh, the, there's also an organization called uh, Plant-Based uh, Health Professionals and uh, really, really encouraging this stuff. So I'm, 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 I'm really encouraged by it. Same. And, and I think, yeah, I've, I've seen exactly similar, similar um, things in, in, in my network as well. People doing this education and going into the undergraduates. And I think it's, it's so important because, um, the, it's knowledge and so it's awareness, isn't it? It's knowledge is not the problem. Everyone, everyone, everyone knows what five a day is, or, you know, you've got to drink two liters of water or whatever it might be. It's just the apl- application of that. But the, the first step is just making that, making people more aware. And I think the more to, to stop those scenarios happening and, and I guess other personal trainers, other, other professionals, health wellness professionals may have this, oh, but the doctor said this, if we're all singing, if we're all saying the same thing, we're all, you know, you mentioned some of the things there. If we're all talking about eating whole foods, um, increasing our physical activity, improving our sleep, managing stress, um, you know, reducing risky substance abuse and, and uh, having more connection in our lives. If we, if we're all talking from the same page and we're all saying the same thing, eventually that knowledge will just seep in just like people who maybe never have never read anything about nutrition, but they still know if I say to them, what is five a day? They kind of, Oh yeah, I kind of know what it is. And that is a great place to start because once it's, once it's just the norm, it's an, it's an environment change, isn't it? Once the environment and everyone's speaking that language, then it becomes a lot easier to start bridging that gap. And as you said, Chang, people are more receptive. They do want to be empowered. So when they start to see this and they start to say, Hey, hold on a minute, I don't need to take medications. I'm not getting those side effects anymore. Again, what else can I do? And I think it just empowers them and, and they can then, for me, what I see is once that one person gets empowered, it's the impact they have on the rest of their family. Because the people I see on the prevention program, for example, are again, age is it's, it's changing. There's a big 
big demographic in terms of age, but generally we're looking at 40 to, you know, 70, 80. That's kind of the range that we're looking at. And those people are lead, you know, heads of families, they have large families and they influence the people in their household to change. And again, that's setting off this new way of living lives, you know, within our house. And again, Raj, you can, we think back to and, and Chang when we were parents and what how our parents educated us on nutrition they just did the best that they could with what they know whereas if that level is now going to be raised that bar is going to be raised and the new generation of parents they're going to be having a better understanding of lifestyle and what they can do and the simple small things that they can start to do that are going to make the biggest impact so I think this is this is a huge step forward excellent I think what what might be useful to to talk about now is just we, we've talked about obviously what lifestyle medicine is. What is what kind of approach would you take with with a patient? So I guess for me, it, it was interesting to learn if if I was to come and see you for the first time, or if any patient was going to come and see you for the first time, how what would what would what would you do? What what, what would that look like? Go ahead, Rog. You take this. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> you've honed your technique. So, yeah. <laughs> so so you know now. Now we've got time, <laughs> so that's a, that's a good start, really. Um, so you know, this is I think what one thing we've we've started doing actually. So if if you look in um, in in the US, where some, somebody once sent to me, whatever happens in California in the US, ten years later it will come to the UK. So uh, that's essentially what's happened with lifestyle medicine. But essentially, what they do a lot in the US in healthcare is prior to seeing a doctor, they they conduct a a questionnaire. And before you've even moved, um, gone into the doctor's office, you've done you've answered a bunch of questions, and that's really useful actually to get the patient to start reflecting and. Um, on, on, on certain things they might not have thought about, you know, they might not have actually thought about the stress in them li- their, their lives. Often people haven't thought about their sleep very much, for example. So it helps them reflect on, on all of these things prior to even coming in to see us. And so we send quite a detailed questionnaire to, to, to our patients or clients, um, allows them time to reflect. They come, come to us. We've got pre-collected a lot of that information. So that's, you know, really really quite useful um we then do a first initial consultation where we'd spend a good hour sometimes hour and a half with a person and that's the 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 lifestyle consultation as such and we basically go through you know i just think of it as if you think of your hands you know five finger approach we talk through one nutrition two physical activity three sleep four Mind matters. So in mind matters, I think about stress, positive psychology and mindfulness and five social connectedness. So, you know, they're the five aspects that really we, we work through with the person. And, you know, we take a history to say, you know, how's your, what's your baseline? Okay. So what's your, what's your current nutrition like what are you doing what do you like what do you dislike? So understanding the preferences, understanding blocks, barriers, ambitions, you know, um, you know, then we'd look at physical activity and we'd look to see what they're doing, where they want to get to. Um, we'd, we'd, you know, we'd look at actually sleep again, barriers to sleep, especially with sleep, as you know, you know, devices are really, really ruining our sleep. You know, look at how late people are using their devices, other barriers. Have they got kids, the kids waking up at night, you know, what you might do about that. Um, we talk a lot about, about stress. I mean, we know that, I mean, even we see 
so much stress in general practice you know uh, estimates are around 70 to 80 percent of consultations that we see are actually stress related it's huge that are in some way stress related so we talk a lot about stress and how you can reduce stress because stress not only impacts on your mental health but also your physical health and we we increasingly know that now um we talk a lot about positive psychology that's not uh you, you know we ask about a person's psychology how how motivated they feel how happy they feel you know what well-being things they're currently doing we talk about mindfulness so most of our clients aren't doing any mindfulness generally um so we 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 sort of open up that conversation then we talk about the, the kind of social life and social connectedness what they're doing are they feeling isolated and then from there we we basically uh you know we take all of that information and we discuss with them where they want to go what their goals and ambitions are and obviously it's it's going to be really really different some people are coming for for weight loss some people are coming with chronic diseases saying i want to improve my diabetes or cholesterol um and and we look at their goals and then we start essentially creating action plans so we do we do uh, sometimes we use what we call lifestyle prescriptions so some people really like that it works really well you know your your and sometimes we even do kind of physical prescriptions you know <laughs> to say you know eat this this many times i love that day, you, know, <laughs> you know yeah I, I i i quite enjoy that i actually use it sometimes in general practice you know um here's your lifestyle prescription and it's kind of you know people find it quite funny but it's 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 it's, it's a great way to do things but actually what we do is we set action plans in place where we should be you know we use smart objectives you know where we're kind of use something specific measurable attainable um realistic and timely where and and we try and give them goals that they will be able to attain. Um, and we try not to do too much at, at once. So we just um, use incremental steps, continuous feedback loops, and we want them to, 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 to continu continuously monitor and feedback to us at the next consultation. We then, we use a lot of metrics as well when we monitor progress and we basically meet once a week then and um, try and bring them closer and closer to their goal. And what's interesting is actually goals change as they go along. You know, people people say, "Oh, yeah, I tried that. Um, I tried that mindfulness exercise you said, and that was fantastic." You know, um, or I tried that. So Chang does this wonderful restorative yoga class, which I encourage all our clients to go to. And so many of them say, um, "You know, they had the best night's sleep ever." And um, and you know we try and we try and take that and say actually to 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 stimulate the next conversation actually say you know do you want to work more on your sleep and then we guide patients through that and it's very flexible and 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 malleable but we've just had so many fantastic outcomes with people that we we've surpassed our own expectations and it's just been such a wonderful journey don't know if you'd agree chang right <laughs> everyone's going to be going to the doctor and asking for yoga, <laughs> yoga class now. I hope you, so. I hope so. I'm not going to let you let you get away with that one, Chang. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, Sanjay, uh, I want to add something to that, Rod. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, and Sanjay, you're most welcome to, to come. Please to join her restorative yoga class absolutely. on a Wednesday night. It's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I'll put it in the diary. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, that process that we go through with the clients, as, as Raj has just outlined there, um, I think what's so wonderful about it is that it, it builds organically. 
So this this change that you the seed that you plant and you introduce in people's heads, you're just the the person the lucky person who can kind of walk alongside them as and and almost watch them and cheerlead them as they make their own changes. And that's the beauty of the process is that yeah, I mean they're coming to you because they think that you have some sort of expertise or something that you know you can help them with. But ultimately, they are the ones that are doing it. Um, and I I. That's what I love about that process, you know, and, and they are making changes that are sustainable. Uh, you know, even if they, they, they're with us for a couple of months, you know, after that time, you know, what have they learned about themselves and that process that they can take on forever? And that's what's so rewarding about that process in my, in my eyes. I think what you just outlined, Raj, the process exactly to me is just screaming out awareness. And it's, you know, you as a doctor, are raising your awareness of what is what is going to impact this patient's life as you said where's where's the baseline where are you now and you would in a in a uh, the old traditional medical you know practice i guess you would you would have that right you, but you would only have a medical history right so you would have a history on a patient you'd know what drugs did they take what surgeries have they had when have they been to hospital what side effect what are they allergic to things like that but you wouldn't have any information on how much do they sleep how much, what what kind of food do they eat how much physical activity do they do and these are all the things that by sending out that questionnaire what you're doing is just drawing a a, a really vast picture of every single thing all those lifestyle things that we talked about those five you know and I like the five, the approach of using your hands of what that person's based on it. And I think what that does in turn is it helps the patient raise their own awareness because often those questions you're asking them, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've, you've done this and people probably think they probably have to spend a, a bit of while to answer them because they're thinking, Oh gosh, I don't even know that, right? How much water am I drinking every day? Well, I, I don't know. And when they go through that process, that awareness starts to kick in. As you said, then it empowers and say, Oh, right. I didn't know. I wasn't getting enough water. I didn't know that I was only doing, only having three a day on four days of the week. And, and, and this is where you start to get that momentum and say, okay, well, now I've got, now I know where I am. I know where I need to go. Because the problem, one of the problems I see, the obstacles I see with weight loss, getting fit, you know, any kind of change, you know, January is a good example. Everyone wants to get fit and lose weight is they're going from, the, 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 you, people don't know where they're coming from. So they come wherever they are now, they, 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 they wake up on 1st of January and it's like, right now on fir- from 1st of January, I have to not drink alcohol every single day. I have to eat five portions of vegetables every single day. I have to exercise every single day. Now they're probably coming from a place where they're doing those things very, very little. So to go from zero to a hundred, that's perfection. You're trying to get up, you're trying to go, you're trying to be perfect. And of course that's going to wear out very very quickly whereas if you understand actually do you know what i'm already doing three or four a day or i'm already doing you know 10 minutes of physical activity i just need to add a little bit extra then it just gives you that that stepping stone right it's not a big jump and i think that's important when as you quite rightly said it's this it's, it's changes that we want to be able to, to for people to be able to sustain it's got to be easy right it can't be uh, it can't be you got to jump through all these hoops and do all these you know these crazy things it's just hey let's start small and then build it up and make it easy for people absolutely absolutely and i, I think what, what we do is as lifestyle medics is shine a light on those really small things you know if someone is ambitious that's great but you know we're also aware that those small changes incrementally over time is going to be the success, you know. And so we shine, we sort of help to shine a light on that and say, look, let's start here. Let's see how it goes. And, 
and build from there. And I think that's that's also valuable too. Um, you're totally right. I think people have are well intentioned about their health, but ultimately, where it can fall down. And, and actually, if they're not so perfect, you know, they, they feel like they're failing. Whereas what we want to do with our interventions is to help people feel, gosh, you know, I did this. I made this small change and look how it's making me feel. Yeah. So, so, so on the awareness piece as well, Sanjay, you mentioned, I mean, you know, the, one of the, the, the first thing in the first and second weeks, what we do is we actually do a lot of tracking. So people do, for example, food tracking, and we actually encourage people to take photographs of their food it can get a bit obsessive. Uh, but actually to have, have those, have those visual cues and, and they actually send me all the photos, uh, which, which is uh, um, a bit of information overload, but it's fantastic Look, to get visual cues. Okay, um, to see what people are eating really, really helps them because they because they think, wow, did I eat? Did I eat that? Um, did I did I really eat that much? And then you can actually compare as they go along. This is what where you were. This is what you were eating. And this is what you're you're now doing. You know, we do th- similar things with, for example, sleep tracking and um, activity. We do a lot of stuff on kind of step counting and things like that and gaining that initial awareness and using those same things as metrics and tracking going forward is, is is a really useful tool for us. And I think it's important to say that it's creating awareness, but the purpose of that is not to judge, right? I think we're not, we're not asking people, you're not asking people to, to, to send you photos of the food. Hey, I've been there with that, with, with, with clients on that, when sending food, uh, you know, WhatsApp messages and it, it, yeah, it can get a bit, uh, a bit much, but absolutely. I think it's, it's not to say, Oh God, I've just eaten something that I know I shouldn't be having. It's just to say, Hey, okay. Now I know that I'm having that. Why did I have that? What prompted me? And it's just, there's no judgment. It's not to say I'm a bad person or you to say, oh gosh, you know what? Look, you had a you had a chocolate bar when you shouldn't have had that. It's not about that. It's just saying, hey, we need to know. And once we know, it's okay. And then we can figure out what we can do. And I think that that also, I, I make sure that, and I'm sure this is, this is something you do as well. It's, it's not... it's to to just to create that understanding that, Hey, we're not trying to judge here. And I think if we look at the definition of mindfulness, which we'll come to talk about is, is part of that is being non-judgmental, right? Being aware of the present moment in a non-judgmental way. And I think, um, that little bit of self-compassion is, is required. And I think that's what, um, uh, what I'm hearing from, from what you're talking about. Um, Talking about mindfulness before we get into that, Chang, we, we, I want to go back to that that yoga. So we talked about the the process that we we go through, or you go through with patients, and some of the interventions. Um, tell us about tell us about the yoga. Yeah, so I, I suppose I didn't include in my introduction, but I also am a yoga teacher, um, and I think it's partly why uh, Raj contacted me and said, "Hey, let's let's work together." I think Raj is also very interested in that that side of things. Um, and I, I built up my yoga practice and I, I trained to be a teacher alongside my general practice, you know, so over the last five years, particularly, I've been very heavily steeped in, in yoga training and, and practice. And I think yoga is such a, it's a great fit for lifestyle medicine. In some ways, when we think about yoga in, in the way that we practice, um, in the West, it's, it incorporates physical, physical exercise. Um, you know, so it's great for your flexibility, balance, strength, all of that stuff that, that is, is great for, for physical movement. Um, but then there's also the side of meditation, mindfulness, awareness of the body, awareness of the breath, um, all of that work that, that comes through with, with yoga. And I think if you were to just think, okay, if my doctor's telling me to do yoga, maybe it's because 
they want me to do a bit of activity and calm my mind. But I think as we're talking about this concept of awareness, I think it does so much more than that. It, it cultivates this, um, it cultivates awareness, as you were saying, Sanjay. You know, it, it's fundamentally the practice of knowing your body, knowing yourself, listening to the messages of your body, um, and recognizing your habits, your thoughts, uh, your uh, propensities, your personality, those things that affect the choices that we make about our, our lifestyle. So I love that aspect of, of kind of learning about yourself and, and, and being more aware. Um, so I think in terms of how we incorporate um, yoga into lifestyle plans, I think we have to meet people where they are. So I think if you if you someone has never done meditation and you say, right, OK, you've got to do an hour a day or something or you know, that's too much. So it may be something very small that we start with. Um, for example, you know, download an app and we do one minute a day, two minutes a day. We start there. Um or we do some stretching and, and incorporate some physical yoga. Um, as Raj mentioned, I do a restorative practice um, every week uh, for, for people. And really the, the whole point of restorative yoga is to give yourself time to relax because I think we don't often do that. Even though we think we're relaxing sometimes in front of the telly or scrolling media, we don't give ourselves an opportunity to truly relax and um, with restorative as well the focus is very much on um, having an easeful comfortable free breath and I, I personally think breath is a hot topic at the moment you know having a good non-dysfunctional breathing pattern uh, I think breath work is almost like the new meditation now so many people are interested in it there's there's research there's science effects on our physiology our nervous system so that's another real beautiful way in which yoga can help people so obviously you know you're I'm passionate about it and I think lots of people could benefit from yoga um but I would just invite people to try it and see what they get out of it what's the reaction when you do prescribe yoga as part of a part of, part of an intervention for a patient I think I don't know about you Raj I mean I I think the the reaction is generally good um I've been very aware in my NHS practice not to push yoga too much because I, I'm worried about being a bit too fanatical about it. And so, you know, I have had that in mind. But actually working with Raj and working with these lifestyle approaches, I feel a bit more freer to say, look, give it a go. Uh, and if you hate it, if, if it's not for you and you'd rather do Pilates or uh, gardening or some other kind of mindfulness practice, that's brilliant too. So I think... Yoga is my unique offering. You know, it's it's what I really love doing, um, and I would love it if more people do yoga. And people are doing yoga. It is it is fully mainstream now. Um, but I think we have to meet people where they are. If they resist it in some way, then then we can maybe introduce mindfulness in in other ways. I think yoga has this connotation of being a bit woo woo sometimes, or, or connected to the spiritual. And, and that's a whole other topic. You know, I don't think we should shy away from that. I think we forget about the roots of yoga, you know, what the intentions were for mindfulness and, and what, why yoga was created in the first place is to bring us back to our humanity, connection, spirituality. These are things that are so important for people. But I, I think, you know, we've got to meet people where they are. If they're interested in that, then we'll go there. But if, you know, as is 
so popular now, secular mindfulness is the way that it helps people, then, then that's the way to go. That's a good way to go too. I like the idea of meeting people where they are. And I think that's really important, especially with something like mindfulness or, or, and or yoga, because yoga, you're right. You're quite right. Yoga can be one of those things that there is a perception that if I can't do this pose or if I, if I'm not flexible, I shouldn't, I can't do yoga. Right. It's total nonsense. And, and I think that is, um, perpetuated perhaps a little bit by media and, and the way yoga is marketed and yoga is very much a physical practice for many of us in the West. But actually, the roots of yoga w w was never about physical practices. It was about ascending, building awareness, first of all, uh, about who we are as human beings, and then ascending that, ascending the body ultimately and the mind. So um, I think people have got fixated on the poses and how you ought to look and, and that, and that's a kind of... Uh, maybe a twisted way of of looking at what it's all about. I like the way you put it earlier about it becoming. It's in a way of raising awareness of of your body and where you are. Right. I guess that that questionnaire that Raj mentioned earlier is kind of helping us to helping that patient to raise awareness of what their habits and what their lifestyle, what their dietary habits, what their movement habits are like. I think, and we talk about one of the pillars there is is, is connecting with people and having connected relationships. And I think yoga is a great way to become aware of what can my body do where are the limitations in my body where where do i you know is is my back tight is it my shoulders is it my knee you know and then you just start to understand your body a little bit more then it gives you that okay well i know i felt that maybe i need to work on this i think there's that element of it but i think it's a great way for us to connect with our own self right with our with our body and mind and again now that sounds cliche but it's it's very true right we're talking about connect being connected to people is important but we need to connect with ourselves first yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think uh, this word connection is bandied around quite a bit and people feel like it's a bit of a loose term. But um, I think in some ways, especially if you look at the other way, I think we're slightly disconnected a lot of the time. We've got so much that we can pay attention to outside of ourselves. Um, you know, coming back to media and, 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 you know, we're busy, so busy with all sorts of things on our minds that that we don't, look inward and, and I think there is something about that inward practice that is really helpful it, it helps to ground it helps to center and it helps you actually um, make good choices you know that's what I found through my through my yoga practice not generally about the physicality the physicality is fun and exciting it's good it makes you healthy but it helps you choose and discern um, certain things um, about how you go about your life and that's what I really value in in that practice. Yeah, and the idea, and I think I like that you're doing restorative yoga with 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 clients, with patients, because uh, I'm guessing that many people who are you're you're seeing and you're working with, maybe they're very new to yoga. And, and again, I've gone into it from a, a different angle where I was a very fit and active personal trainer. I never really did yoga, and I thought, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do some yoga. I need to be more flexible. And then you go and try and do like the hardest class and you know you like i said that's when you see all these poses and all these handstands and headstands and all this stuff that you start seeing you think oh, i want to be able to do that whereas actually um, for someone that's new restorative yoga is a great introduction into it and it's just a great way as you said to relax and, and i think that's really really important is that in, and I, I, again you mentioned 
we think that we're relaxing a lot of the times by stimulating our minds with TVs, with screens, with, you know, whatever else, with food perhaps as well. Um, but actually, we're not really getting that true, real body and mind relaxation. And I think yoga uh, and as well as mindfulness can, can help us to do that. Um, let's let's touch on mindfulness for, for a moment. I mean, because people might be confused as to what that is. Uh, and also there's a lot of, again, mysterious and mystery surrounding surrounding mindfulness and how you should do it, should you, you know, how you should sit and all of these things. So can we maybe explore that? So what's your understanding of, of, of mindfulness and how does it apply to what we're talking about here? Shall I keep going, Raj, or did you want to chip please, in? Please do, please do. Um, <laughs> well, well, my understanding of mindfulness, exactly as you said earlier, Sanjay, is is being present in the moment that you're that you are because I think as a concept that that's how I would put it without judging. So we, we experience so many things in life. Uh, you know, you can look back on your memories, you can look to the future and have anxieties about that. But when you stay in that moment and, and, and following the breath is an amazing mindfulness practice, you land yourself in the moment of living, you know, and you, you're just there. And I think it, it breaks that cycle of constantly looking back thinking, regretting, worrying, um, being somewhere else. Uh, and and not only does, you know, I, I think mindfulness, partly the reason why it's got so popular is because it does amazing things for you. Like it increases your concentration, it increases your productivity, you know, sports people do it, um, you know. So I, I think it's been adopted by a lot of people because of the benefits. Um, it's good stress reduction, you know. So, so these things happen when you practice mindfulness. Um, but and I think that's probably how most people come to it because they've got a goal. They, they they want to be less stressed. They want to be sleep better. They want increased productivity. Um, but I would come back to that um, more woo woo or vague aspect of mindfulness that is attached to yoga, which is at its center a spiritual practice, and it's connecting to ourselves which then allows us to connect to other people and the rest of the world. And that's ultimately where it takes us, actually. I think the intentionality to mindfulness is, is slightly different now in the modern era because we need it so much for stress management. But I, I think that those are the roots of, of mindfulness. And I think what's what's interesting for me is that, um, you know, how it's become a lot more mainstream and certainly in medical science, um, like I said, the evidence base has really gathered around it. You know, uh, one of the most popular studies was the the work um, was done by a lady called Sarah Lazar. It was about two thousands, I think, and there was a chap called Richard Davidson, and they did some work with the Dalai Lama, and they started doing MRI scans. I don't know if you heard about these, <laughs> Sanjay, you probably have, uh, but they started looking at the they started looking at uh, meditators' brains in MRI scans. So they, 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 there was loads of scientists doing this with uh, Buddhist. Buddhist monks, people that have been practicing for years and years. And what they found was that places in the brain, physically, like the prefrontal cortex, which deals with um, a lot of things around um, attention, um, places like the chingalex cortex, which is to do with self-regulation, meditators' brains lit up in those regions, and they were actually noticing differences in where they were lighting up on functional uh, MRI scans, but also actually kind of in physically in the brains they were noticing uh, uh, anatomical differences as well um they also found that meditators were more able to cope with you know bet had better attention better able to deal with anxiety depression fear anger and when when all this stuff is coming into more mainstream medicine doctors are more likely 
to start prescribing it. And actually, you're seeing a lot of lot of our GP colleagues are now recommending um, you know apps like Headspace and Calm. In fact, there's a um, Headspace have given a free um, free subscription to to NHS staff, and I'm just seeing more and more people rec- recommend mindfulness apps, which is just fantastic. I think it's great, and I think you know you mentioned um, a couple of things there, which are, I think are really important in that it's helping it's helping people to and that study is, is fascinating because I've, I've read something similar in that. We're seeing the changes in people's brains physically, anatomically, as you mentioned, as well as the sort of activity. So effectively, what I'm hearing, and I, and this is an analogy I use a lot, and again, this is probably from my uh, coming from the sports fitness side of things, is that mindfulness is helping us to it's a sh- it's strength training for your brain, right? Because if 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 I if I use that, if and I know the brain's not a muscle before the medics start to um <laughs> tell me it's, it's, it's an organ but if i if i if i explain it like that it makes more sense to me and it also makes sense to people that i work with in that you know, if someone comes to me as a fitness professional and says sanjay i want i want bigger legs right and i ask this question to everyone i say what would i do to as someone that's not a trainer what would i do to get help someone get bigger legs and nine times out of ten people say well you need to do some exercises that involve strengthening the legs so that might be you know some sort of weightlifting, walking stairs whatever it might be right if that person comes to me once, that's one session, have they reached their goal? Well, of course, the answer is no. They haven't got their goal of having bigger legs. They have to keep coming back and repeating. And that's a little bit like mindfulness, right? The first time I do mindfulness or anyone does mindfulness, have you suddenly got this awareness, this control, this connection, all of that? No, it hasn't happened yet, but you have to keep coming back and practicing. And the more you do, the closer you get towards that. And, and I say to people, yeah, wouldn't it be nice to be able to you know, catch yourself in, in that in that moment where you, that moment of weakness maybe where you were about to reach for that chocolate bar wouldn't it be great for you to be able to go hold on a minute just think about what you're doing here whereas often we just do that act without even thinking it happens and before you know it and then you write it down in your journal the next day and you think oh gosh did I really like you said earlier right did I really have that so that for me is where mindfulness comes it's trying to be it's being you be able to catch yourself in the moment but if you're not doing any so the person that wants bigger legs if they say, well, Sanjay, I don't, I don't like doing exercises for my legs. I don't like doing weight training on my legs. Well, I'm sorry, but th- th- I don't have an alternative for you. So it's the same as someone saying, well, yes, I would love to have better control of my cravings, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions. But if I'm not doing anything about it, if I'm not training the muscle that is responsible for that, which of course is our brain, then it's not going to change, is it? And I think that's really, really important point that you both touched on there. Yeah, I think mindfulness supports everything else it underpins everything else we do right it helps it helps our clients with nutrition with the physical activity with the sleep you know with the the kind of stress management with the social connectedness you know mindfulness is is almost going back to my my hand analogy it's almost like the palm right that sits underneath everything else you know and 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 what's also interesting it just made me think about uh, you, you know when when we were in med med school we always thought about uh, neurons brain cells being being fixed and that was it you know you're you're you've got your brain cells and you know deal with it uh, but increasingly we're finding two things um one is one is what we call neuro neuroplasticity so the connections in your brain can can change um and and through things like you know um mindfulness brain training 
we can ch- change the connections in the brain and that can help us improve memory, you know, better learning, can protect against diseases like Alzheimer's disease, gives better emotional responses, you know, um, um, help treat depression, anxiety. So there's neuroplasticity, how the connections change, but also the concept known as neurogenesis. And we didn't know this, that actually in certain areas in the brain, particularly areas such as the hippocampus, newer research is telling us that, that brain cells are actually growing which was completely unheard of. And it's just so amazing that we can change our brain physiology, you know, and, and, and even when we're talking about changes we, we can implement, we, there's a whole new field of science called epigenetics where we used to think that our genes were, were fixed. But through pra- these practices of positive lifestyle changes, we can actually change the way our genes switch on and off and actually, only around ten percent of, of of our gene expression is is fixed. The other, the other, you know, eighty ninety percent stuff that we can actually change through through lifestyle interventions. And there's just fantastic possibilities there. I love this whole area of epigenetics and neuroplasticity. I think it's fascinating. I've been, yeah. Again, I'm not. The science sometimes does go over, over my head a little bit, but I try to sort of understand it as best as I can. Um, there's a great guy, and you might have seen him on Instagram, Andrew Huberman, who's been on a few podcasts, you know, the, the big ones around, and he's he, the way he talks about it is, is fascinating. Yeah, so I completely agree with you. I, think I mean, it's, it's, it's seeing it for, again, you know, this is all about some of the battle for us really is how do we convince doctors, you know, and being able to see this, you know, because – you know, the first thing is, look, we understand, we understand the scale of the problem. Okay. We know, you know, that, that diabetes is a huge problem. You know, you've got almost 5 million people in the country with diabetes, huge cost, the NHS. We know that, you know, a third of people are obese, a third are overweight. You know, we know how many people have got high blood. We understand the scale of the problem, right? Um, and it's just we are still very much treating with conventional medicine. So what we're really trying to do is is convince our fellow healthcare professionals to start looking at this space um, and 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 really understanding it. And and you know what the the British College of Lifestyle uh, Medicine are really helping us kind of formulate this, making this more mainstream, actually consolidate some of the research and present it to more and more doctors. And I think that that's fantastic. And I just think this is this this whole movement is going to change the way we practice. It is. And, and you you are the movement, Raj. I think you guys are, are part of that <laughs> movement. I think it's, yeah, it's important. I think it's great. And I, this is one of the reasons why I've, I started this podcast was to reach out and, and, and engage with people from all different walks of life. And I think this is also important. This is something that we kind of, I think we may, maybe mentioned in our first conversation is that you mentioned how there's an element of playing catch up with the health and wellness industry. I think it's great that when the, the medical world is looking at that and saying, hey, what can we learn from that? What is it that we can take from that and, and integrate into what we're doing? And same when and I'm reaching out to doctors and pharmacists. My wife's a pharmacist, so I talk to her about all these things. And you know, and, and it's just how can how can a pharmacist help? Because of course, as well, as much as a doctor 
is on the front line where you see patients. Of course, a pharmacist is as well. That's, that's, they'll probably go and engage with that person. And I th- personally believe there's so much more a pharmacist can offer. I think a pharmacist should be going on these diplomas and lifestyle medic- medic- medical courses to understand more because they can help patients. I know my mum, you know, she got really excited when years and years ago there was a, a pharmacist that spoke Gujarati in her local pharmacy. And then, you know, then she would go to her just for a chat. But I'm thinking, what, and that got me thinking, I, was like, it would, I wish that pharmacist had a little bit more understanding and a bit more aware. So she, cause I couldn't, I couldn't convince my mum to do exercise and do all these other things. Although they probably, the mindfulness side they've got, they've got down to Pat, right? They pray every day. That's mindfulness, but the, all the other stuff, whereas if that pharmacist was just engaging with them, explaining them that, that they might listen. And I think this is, this is where it's important. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you, Raj, very, very encouraged at what, what's uh, what I'm seeing. They'll put themselves out of business, pharmacists, if they uh, encourage li- <laughs> lifestyle first over over uh, over medication. Yeah, there, there, there is that. We'll find something for them to do. We? <laughs> they'll, they'll have an important role. Don't worry. don't worry, pharmacists. I got you. I got you. You you want to mind? Don't worry. Um, I want to uh, let's. I love that five thing. The, the approach of the five the five points you mentioned there. If if I what I'd like to do now is it, maybe we could touch on one thing out of those five that somebody could do so just one small thing that somebody could do out of those five pillars so it was what was it we're talking about uh food uh, physical activity sleep stress um uh what's a connection was that right yeah that's the the, the, the five or, or mental was it what how did you define it sorry raj mental. so I, I said uh, nutrition physical activity sleep mind matters Mind and matters. social yeah. connectedness. What's one thing that somebody listening could do? One small thing they could do for each of those five things that might help them uh, just just make that sort of the, the, the first few steps in the right direction. Yeah, nutrition wise, I would say something I really really like is eat the rainbow. Okay, so every day, this is something uh, Rangan Chatterjee talks about a lot actually, and I really like it. Um, eat the rainbow. Okay, so your the modern day and age, we eat a lot of um, beige food, I would describe it as, okay? And actually, just going back to nature and thinking, actually, what what fresh fruit and veg, whole foods, can I be eating? And how can I get all those colours in? I mean, there's a huge benefit for uh, about thinking of the colours. So, for example, if you think about uh, red foods, you might think of um, tomatoes, which contain lycopene, for example, okay, which can help control, um, um, improve uh, blood pressure, cholesterol, for example. Um, you'll think of berries, which can, you know, have cancer-fighting properties, improve diabetes. You look at orange foods, lots of vitamin A's and carotenoids there, which can improve cholesterol, eye health, uh, Yellow, yellow foods, so things like sweet corn, some peaches, melons can uh, decrease inflammatory arthritis. Green foods, broccoli, cabbage, sprouts, you know, uh, you know, kale, spinach, really nutrient dense foods. And when you think about each day, actually, what colors the rainbow have I eaten? Right. So uh, I've got some lovely grapes in front of me. So that's my uh, that's my kind of uh, purple ticked (laughs) off for the day, you know. Um, And actually, when you when you work your way through that, you think fantastic, you know, and it's a really easy way to think about foods and, 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 and whole foods and getting those vitamins in. So I love eat the rainbow. So that would be my top tip for in the kind of nutrition finger as such. Yeah, I love that too. And I think we we created, actually, I think it was Rangan Chatterjee's. He had a, I don't know if he's still got it on his website, but he had a, a sheet you could print out and it would just 
you know, and, and on the on the side there'd be a, a list. So you put everyone's name who's in the family. So yeah, you know, mum, dad, you know, whatever. And then you'd have all the colours. And then each day you'd go on. You know, you put it on the fridge, and then you'd go along. And if you if you've had that colour that for the day, you just tick off the colour, and there'd be the different colours at the top. So I think that was just from a tracking perspective. And again, aware when I did it, I was like, gosh. I thought I, you know, I thought I'm eating a relatively healthy diet, and I realised I'm not. There's certain colours I'm not eating, so I think it was just a great exercise in awareness. So I love that as well. Eat the rainbow. Yeah, so I love it. I suppose the other thing, uh, just just to get, I know you said one point, but the other thing in terms of nutrition, I would try and get in is 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 sugar detoxing. I think it's so so important, you know, to just to avoid the the mood roller coaster, you know, keep, get your energy more stable, reduce your risk of diabetes. You know, I think there is a real sugar epidemic that we just need to tackle. Um, so yeah, that would be my other thing I would add in there. Physical activity. One, one interesting thing I, I think is actually, um, standing. So there was, there was an interesting, when we were doing the lifestyle medicine diploma, there was a, there was a study, they did a, study in shanghai do you remember this one chang um yes it compared um people who had physically yeah yeah it was, jobs. It, was, it, it was basically study? around around that jobs. and um and, and and standing and there was this whole piece in there and um around actually if you if you're sedentary then you're much more likely to have a higher all-cause mortality and actually standing was associated with a 10% reduction in all-cause mortality, which was staggering, right? Um, so th- I found that really interesting, you know, as, as we're sitting a lot uh, more and more increasingly, and especially around, you know, working from home and, 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 and COVID, people are doing so much more of that. And I think, I think it's really important to think ab- about, about not just exercise but thinking about movement as well and i think that's another really important point in physical activity so anything can be can be movement you know just the way we we hold our bodies and the way we're actually kind of physically moving throughout the day actually things like walking and activity and this shanghai women's trial also talked about actually you could do physical activity in the house so not what we call non-exercise i'm sure you're aware of non-exercise activity uh, thermogenesis so what is the value of all that movement outside planned exercise you know and i think that's really important to consider what are you doing with the rest of your the day and you know on a personal level i've made those changes so you know i started kind of walking walking to the shops and you know riding the bike there and you know um you know chang chang's a wonderful example she cycles everywhere now so when the first time she met she cycled across london to come meet me and i I just thought it's 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 fantastic yeah it's it's all those little things you mentioned there that you're doing all of the time right they're they're constantly repeating them if you could just make those little things a little bit more physically active then that accumulation effects right it's all going to add up and that's this is why i love having a device on my wrist that counts how many steps i'm taking not because i'm in a competition but just to make my to say hey have i have i moved enough today um and i i love i love i love hearing it when a doctor talks about standing, I don't know what it is. I know, even though I know all the science and I've, I've studied, when I, and it justifies, Hey, right now, I, right now talk, I've been standing this whole time. I mean, I think this is one of the switches I made when we went into lockdowns. I got myself a standing desk. Cause I just thought, you know what, coming from a job where I was standing in front of people all day long talking, suddenly having to be desk bound with a headphone on and talking into a microphone all day long. I realized that was going to be really bad for me. So that's that just, yeah, uh, I've managed to invest in the standing desk. And it's one of the best things I've done because you're absolutely right. And and 
I, I can, I just feel like I think better when I'm standing up, when I'm delivering my sessions and I'm standing compared to when I was sitting, just things, ideas come to me. I've got more, uh, I've got more blood flow, I guess I've got more oxygen going in. So there's obviously a lot of science there behind it, but yeah, I'm all for that. So um, I generally, and again, look, sitting is part of, it's, it's become part of our life now, isn't it? We've been forced into it because of this lockdown. And I, I'm, I'm worried about the small habits that we've created as a result of that. However, if we have to sit for long periods of time because of our job, I generally tend to ask, just say to people, Hey, for every hour of sitting, just get up and move for two minutes. Get up and stand for two minutes, right? Forget about it. You don't, if you can't move, if that's too much for people, try to stand for a couple of minutes for every hour. And that should just offset some of that, the, those long periods of sitting. I've been, really si- I, I must confess, I've been sitting on my bottom for the whole of this podcast. So uh, I've not been practicing what I <laughs> preach. <laughs> Same. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay, Raj. I, I forgot to mention that we're doing a little bit of I'm standing as soon as we finish. I'll be leading. And, and Chang, 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 Chang's doing the cool down, so we're all good. There you go. Do some squats now. Um, so so we got food, we've got physical activity, so we got to eat the rainbow, stand. I love that. Sleep-wise, I mean, Chang's great at this. You know, it's it's got to be... <laughs> yeah. I've got a great one for devices. this. It's got to be devices. Um, I think devices, they've taken over everyone's lives. The phone is now part of one's body and we can't separate it from our being. And I think there has to be a point, I'm sure this is coming too, where we recognise that we we have control over the phone, guys. You know, it doesn't have to control you. And, um, you know, it's affecting us in myriad ways, I think, actually, with mood, anxiety, you know, so, social media comparisons, all of that stuff for our young young people, uh, plus how it affects our sleep. So I think any way to sort of mitigate the how much time you're spending on, on them, uh, there's different ways of doing it. But again, you know, if I was to give someone a lifestyle prescription, it might be maybe try a couple of nights with the phone outside the room uh, and then get, get into bed, you know, just something like that and give it a go, give it a try. So Chang, is, Chang is fantastic at this. Um, so, um, so when we started working together, I just, I just kept getting really irritated because you'd, you'd text, sorry, Chang, um, you'd text Chang and, and you'd be waiting for an answer. You know, I'd be waiting for this WhatsApp answer, you know, and I'd be waiting half a day. You know, and I'd be I'd be wanting the answer. You know, it was about a client or about you know a piece of research or something, and she just wouldn't get back to me for ages. And I just one day I just said, "Chang, Chang, what like what's going on here? You know, have I upset you or what, what, what's going on?" And 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 Chang said, "No, I'm I've just I've just changed the way I interact with my my phone." You know, and 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 she just has long periods where she's completely away from it, whether it's in a bag or I think you use, you use airplane mode, don't you, Chang? Yeah, airplane mode, uh, you know, a lot at night. Um, and, you know, you can do these kind of, you can tell yourself, okay, I'm going to check my email three times a day and that's it. You know, no, nothing bad is going to happen <laughs> because you haven't checked that email, you know, 20 times. Uh, and that's, and, it, and I've done it for myself and that's true. So I think there are little ways. And I think if people recognize that their media use is a problem, then, then there are ways to, to kind of start chipping in away at that. Hey, practice what you preach. I'm all for that. So I love that. And, and I think it's, yeah, it's important, isn't it? I mean, one of the, and again, going back, this is one of the things I did and I did this unaware. I, 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 I turned off all notifications 
on my phone, all the apps you can go, you go into the actual settings and just force stop all notifications, um, except for phone calls and, um, good old fashioned text messages, not even WhatsApp really, just, just text messages. And I told my wife, if you need to get hold of me, call me or send me a text. <laughs> and, and that's that, <laughs> that the only two things that will pop on my phone. And I only did that because I just got annoyed with all these, inter- all these interferences, but actually the, the impact it made was just having that that time away from the screen where you're constantly that it pings or you see the the notification you suddenly you know suddenly boom you just attention's there and i see it on my daughter now as well that the phone will be on the table and if someone does message me she'll be like daddy you got a message who's it from i'm like it's okay we'll wait you know i have to explain it because maybe she's seen that behavior in us and says oh you're often you're snapped to your phone and and so that's uh, that i think that's so important and the fact that you're doing that and t- and keeping it out of the room is a great one because i think that does that does has a double impact in that trying to for me and again this is just of, of my personal experience is that removing that screen time either side of sleep so lasting at night before you go to bed right so whatever that is and then first thing in the morning right for me is that the last the the, reaching for the phone as soon as you wake up and i know many of us using it as an alarm clock which is why the power of leaving it outside the room is great because you're not it's not something you're going to reach for first thing in the morning you're going to wake up naturally and and just start to become more aware and just you know come into come into the day easy rather than just having that stimulation from your phone and maybe you see a message that you didn't want to see and it just sets off this this chain reaction of, of of emotions which maybe you didn't want first thing in the morning so yeah for me either side of bed and and the best way as you mentioned chang is just not have it in your room uh, which is great i think the media use um also kind of feeds maybe into uh, some of the social connection uh, aspect um because as you say uh you know, we're almost giving ourselves the illusion of connection through media. And, and I think it's valuable, especially now, you know, we can't see each other and it's, and it's a means to an end, but we've forgotten in some respects. And I worry about our young people too. We've forgotten how to look each other in the eye. We've forgotten that actually when we used to have landlines, we decide to meet at 2.30 and we, we get there on time. We don't text you saying I'm going to be late. You know, there is something about meeting people without a device that we've done for all of our existence until the last you know 20 years so I I think there's something about getting back to that which really helps with our connectedness and social connection too yeah I I agree and oh god often you don't even get a text to say you're going to be late I mean it's you know (laughs) it's it's to share my location on whatsapp here 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 I am you figure out where where I'm going to get to where we're going to meet and then we'll meet (laughs) yeah you're you're right it's that connection is being taken away um one of the things that I tried to do in the first part the first time we had the lockdown back in March um was to actually call people and, and speak to them on the phone, you know, actually just rather than a WhatsApp message, how are you? It's very, you know, just actually call them, make the time. Yes, you can't look them in the eyes, but that was the next best thing I could do. And I think that that's also extremely important, especially now we're living in this, in this digital world, which look, it's, you know, we, we are where we are. Kids are having to do their schooling on, 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 on devices and computers. So again, again, there's another conversation there about how it's going to impact them. But yeah, I think, spending that time away has that huge impact on the, on the connection that we have with the people in our lives. Mind matters. I, I, th- I think two things for me, I guess this is kind yeah, of going back towards, towards mindfulness. I, 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 mean? I think mindfulness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think we've, we talked, talked a bit about mindfulness, but um, the other thing I th- 
think is really important is actually a, a daily gratitude practice. There's some evidence around actually counting your blessings and actually, you know, thinking about every day what you're grateful for. And that can be, I mean, there's, there's some amazing practices you can do. So for example, um, I've got some, I've got some lovely grapes here. So I pick up a grape, right. And I can, I can take this grape. So a really easy practice to do is, you know, <clears throat> where's this? Sorry, I'm just, just thinking of this spontaneously. Right. So, okay. So you've got a, got a grape here. Where's this come from? So, uh, um, you know, my wife put it into this, this bowl. Okay. Uh, yesterday. So thanks to my wife. Okay. And then I track it back to think, okay, well, the, the, the delivery man brought it to our door the other day. So you have gratitude towards him. Then, um, then who packed it, you know, in the, in the supermarket, for example. And then you, you, you know, uh, you're thankful for that and you track it back who actually, you know, grew and picked the grape. You're thankful for that, you know, and then you can even thank the, the kind of soil and you can just go back, you know, so far with this, this one concept of this, this this single grape and that gratitude practice is really really great for not only kind of making you feel more grounded and humble but it also gives you a sense of connection to those people around you and the evidence shows that a gratitude practice can just make you feel so much better and happier in yourself so i i think that's a great one for mind matters and we really encourage a daily gratitude practice and it's really easy i mean you can just do wake up in the morning you know uh, again instead of grabbing at your phone you know um three three people you're thankful for you know um and and, and that can be a really helpful and powerful practice chang have you uh, sort of any thoughts on gratitude yeah i i mean i would echo what you say i think um Actually, gratitude practice is something I have seen other doctors, you know, putting down in sort of mental health care plans and things like that. Um, and it, it, it's slightly a throwaway comment now. It's a bit like exercise more and eat better and also do a gratitude, put write down three things you're grateful for. I think if you actually spend time to fully feel that gratitude, you know, that this is part of how you practice it in a mindful way then it's, it's shown to have much deeper effects. So, so writing it down, spending a few moments to really think about it without distraction, I think it makes it a really powerful practice. And I think in the times like now where there's so much we can't control, we can do these things that actually make us feel better. You know, we can't control everything that's happening right now um, and things might not be going as we want, but when we cultivate these practices, we can improve things. We can. It makes a difference. And, and I think to mind, yeah, sorry, sorry, Sanjay. I think I wanted to chip in again with the mind matters. Uh, if there's one thing I would maybe s suggest that people try is to slow down. Um, you know, I, I think that we, we get on that treadmill and we get into automatic mode and we think we should be busy. And I think if, if the pandemic has done anything, perhaps it's forced people to slow down a bit. But again, it gives you time to reflect. What do I care about? What do I want to do for myself? Who am I? <laughs> These are things that we don't spend time doing, and I think they're really valuable. So can I can I just add as well, um, Chang? Um, in terms of, I, th I think a really important thing for listeners would be, how do you develop a daily mindfulness practice? Oh well, I think um, make it easy. It would be my top tip. Uh, and so, anytime someone is coming to it new. I'd say, okay, right, what is something that you do every day without fail? I'd say the typical thing is brushing your teeth. Okay, so if you brush your teeth, let's associate the practice with brushing your teeth. 
So it might be, okay, after I finish brushing my teeth, I'm going to get my cushion or my seat or go to the room that I do my practice and then sit there for a minute and do whatever practice, you know, uh, I've decided to do. And there's loads of them. And so you find the one and you start there. And, and I'd say also, if you're trying to build something, I, I would keep it simple and have a calendar and give yourself a star or give yourself a tick when you've done it. I've brushed my teeth. I've sat down for a minute. I've done it. I give myself a tick. And it's a physical reward. It's like that little hit of dopamine in your brain saying, wow, I've achieved that. And you keep going for the first 30 days and then 30 days becomes 60 days and 60 days becomes 90 days and that one minute becomes two minutes becomes five minutes becomes 10 because you naturally see the benefits of that practice so that's where I would start I think that tracking aspect of it is so huge and so important just putting a tick or giving yourself a star or whatever it might be and I think it's underestimated how powerful that is because it's again it goes back to those small little things and what can often happen is we go months you know into into a new habit or whatever it might be and 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 when motivation starts to wane right and i see this all the time it's like we have a bad moment we have bad we have poor motivation we you know just not feeling up for it we can often think ah what's the point i have you know it's not really working it's not doing anything but when you've got a, a book with f- full of ticks and you can see what you've achieved it's something tangible you can say hold on a minute no actually do you know what look what i've done you know and i, and I, I do that here i mean i you, People can't see this home, but I've got I've got my own little habit journal here that I'm sharing, with you. <laughs> and it just it's just got ticks on there, right? And it, at the end of the month, That's I look it. back and I can see, hey, I've done you know this much breathing exercise this this many minutes in total of, of mindfulness and i look back and think wow that's quite a lot isn't it it's not nothing whereas on on the day i'm thinking oh it's only a minute what's it, what's it gonna matter i won't do it today or or i just don't feel motivated so i think it just gives you that that under idea that you are you are achieving something it's, it is worth it this all counts and i think it's those small things just make i think it's so powerful tracking writing it down i like the fact i can check my steps all of those little things it just makes me feel like yes i've achieved something today uh, and i think that is so much more powerful because if you can if you can figure out a way of motivating yourself well, again, then it puts people like me out of our business because Absolutely. you don't need someone we're to promote. the job totally. yeah well, yeah and i'm happy with that I'm happy. Yeah. Hey, listen, uh, but I used to say this to my clients. I say, say, look, you know, if, if I want to be able to work with you for however long it 10, 10 sessions, 20 sessions, whatever the number might be. But at the end of that, I want you to be in a place where you can just go off and you can do all this stuff on your own. You're, you're self-sufficient. And then yeah, maybe you want to come back and see me periodically or, or maybe not at all. And that's great. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm happy with that because I don't want someone to be, I want to empower people to give them the, the, the understanding and the awareness that, hey, I'm in control of me. You know, we talk about behaviors and lifestyle. It's, it starts with me. And I think once they can see that and experience that and then be able to motivate themselves through those, those moments where we're feeling low, that's, you know, there's no drug in the world I think is, is, can, can give you that, um, which, which is, I think is phenomenal. So we've got Eat the Rainbow. Um, standing, which is great for the movement one, uh, devices. So trying to uh, avoid your devices, uh, before bedtime and maybe even in the morning, uh, gratitude journaling. So just writing down something that you're happy for or grateful for, sorry, uh, each day uh, and then slowing down. I think that's great for that co- connection and just trying to slow down and appreciate what we do have, uh, in our lives. I think that's brilliant. Um, great. Look, I think uh, what would be a great place to sort of take this conversation now is just 
ex- give us a, a quick explanation of the lifestyle doctors, which of course, you know, Raj um, and Chang, you're working together here on, on this, but what, what is the lifestyle doctors? How can people find out about you? Where can they get in touch? Uh, yeah. Give us all the, give us all the details. Yeah. So um, you can, you can check us out on www.thelifestyledoctors.com. Um, essentially what we offer is, um, you know, we offer packages to, to people who, um, want to improve their health. Um, it can be people with, with chronic diseases such as diabetes, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Um, and it can also be people that are, for example, looking to lose weight or, uh, looking to improve, even improve their mindfulness practice, you know, um, and just improve their general well-being. That's absolutely fine. People who want to improve. I mean, we're not, you know, claiming to be, we do have a personal trainer that we work with, Craig, who's fantastic. Um, but you know, we primarily have a more health and well-being focus. Um, and we work, we can work one-on-one with people. We can do, we do some work in groups as well. Um, we, you know, we can do some corporate well-being as well. So there's various offers, um, we have there. Um, and yeah, we just really, really, you know, enthused about doing this work and we think it's a great space to be working in. And, uh, you know, we just look forward to getting more people on board and this really, um, snowballing, really seeing more lifestyle practitioners in the space, um, and, you know, more medical practitioners working holistically and hopefully fingers crossed, you know, my, my dream is really that we can bring these practices back into the NHS. But in, until then, we'll continue doing what we do and achieving the results we achieve um, with our clients um, working with us with the with the lifestyle doctors. Really, yeah, I think the, the passion clearly comes across to, to, to me, and it will definitely to the listeners. I think you guys are definitely very passionate about this, and 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 that that vision you've got there, that dream of wanting to bring it back to the NHS. I think it's happening. I think it's it's going to be a long road. As a, you know, we, we, a whole new podcast talking about red tape and NHS and all that stuff, but I think it's. It, it's definitely happening. The program I'm involved with is is NHS um, backed. You know, it's the Diabetes Prevention Program, which is is effective that lifestyle intervention. So I think there is that that movement happening. Yeah, and I think I think I think the benefit you know we really have is that you know bringing the medical expertise and the evidence based medicine and combining evidence based medicine with with yes. anecdotal experiential stuff to create what what we sometimes term evidence informed medicine okay and um yeah i think that's a real benefit we have and i think that's why doctors really really need to join this well-being space because we've not been in the game for very long and i think we need to i just think we need to get involved and work with people like you know yourself um you know work with trainers like craig with dietitians nutritionists have this multidisciplinary approach to to health and and well-being really um so lifestyledoctors.com I'll, I'll pop all the links into into the show notes and the episode description um you've got an instagram page as well we have yes yes it's the lifestyle doctors uk the lifestyle doctors uk yeah well. i'll pop those and you can look at my my uh, barbershop singing on that which is my latest post uh, it's actually there is it singing singing for well-being <laughs> yeah have a look at oh that. i thought you were joking i'm gonna definitely check no, that out. no. Oh, well, I, I can't believe i didn't do that beforehand i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out right now um how embarrassing no not at all i think singing for well-being again another another conversation we can definitely another have. another whole yeah singing singing and dancing yeah. for well-being da- dancing is yeah. the one i've been but i mean look look we're so so fortunate 
fortunate to be in this space and just so fortunate. And, you know, this, this is my daily gratitude practice, you know, to have people like Chang and Craig and even my wife, Bavika, who's also a doctor on board and just, you know, having this conversation, it's such a wonderful opportunity and we're just so blessed to really be here. And, and thank you, Sanjay, for people like you as well. I mean, you're doing such an incredible job rounding up all the people who are, you know, shouting from the rooftops about this message. And I think there are more and more people who are, who are hearing it. So I think that job is is hard and it's incredibly important. Um, I mean, from my position, I, I feel very much a bit like an individual trying to do individual things with individual patients. But what you're doing is actually a, a wider message. You know, it's reaching more people in a very efficient way. So thank you. No, not so. I think for me, yeah, I've said this before. This is this is a hobby. This is a passion. This is something I'm, I genuinely enjoy talking to people about. Um, you know, I've been on my own journey. I guess which has helped me to sort of come to this place. And I think also just to, to reach out and meet other people like you know again I, I agree with you it does feel like it's a lonely journey you're doing this you're, you're you're hearing the objections you're hearing you know it's just just me against the world but absolutely not there's there's so many more people who are thinking this way and i think for me just connecting with those people and, and spreading that message is just important and you know and i've even said this to my you know when i'm at work i don't feel like i'm at work when i'm talking to people and i'm explaining about whatever any of those aspects we talked about today it just doesn't feel like work for me so it's just something i'm, I'm happy to you know, again, talking about purpose and all these things, I just feel that this is this is something I was meant to do, and uh, I've always enjoyed it. And it, you know, and I remember my dad remember saying to me, you know what, Sanjay, you, you're very you're very good at telling people what to do, and maybe that's what you should do as, as a job. So in a way, I guess I've uh, I, I'm not telling anyone what to do, by the way, but um, I guess that's rung true in a way as a personal trainer and now as a health coach. It kind of I, I guess I'm kind of kind of fulfilling that. So no. Um, uh, thank you to you guys for everything you do. Chang, do, is there a way people can reach out to you if they wanted to find out more about what you're up to? Yeah. I'm, uh, yes. I mean, I, I'm obviously working with Raj um, at the Lifestyle Doctors, uh, but I've got my own little website. <laughs> I do not I do have an Instagram. I, I use it so infrequently. I can't even remember my own handle, but I'll tell you what it is. So you can put it up there if you like. So don't go to my Instagram if you want content. Go to the Lifestyle Doctors for that. Um, but I do have a website. It's www.changyoga.co.uk. And you can contact me, reach out, anything yoga, anything lifestyle, connect with me. I'd love to hear from you. I do two classes a week. If you I think I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna check out that uh, restorative class for sure. Thank you uh, for, for, for letting me know about that. Chang, Raj, thank you ever so much again for your time. I know you can look at the clock ticking away in the corner there. You've given us uh, given up a lot of your time, which I really appreciate. I really enjoyed this conversation. There's so much more that I wanted to talk about, but I just know that uh, I want to reserve that in the tank for another day. I definitely want to get Pavika on board, your wife, Raj, and, and have a conversation with her as well. So uh, I think this will be the, the, the first of many uh, conversations. And yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Uh, and yeah, again, just thank you both very, very much. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Sanjay. Thank you, Sanjay. Thank you to this week's guests for their time and insights. It was a real pleasure speaking to them. All the social media and website links for today's guest can be found on the show notes page on our website, which is www.stayhole.co.uk forward slash SWP. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please share it with someone that you think might benefit from it. I would also be very grateful if you could visit Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and leave me a review. It will really help this information reach more and more people. Thank you. 
And if you're a health, fitness or wellness professional and you want to be a guest on the show or you have your own personal health and wellness journey that you want to share, then contact me via email. It's sunjay at stayhole.co.uk. That's S-U-N-J-A-Y at stayhole.co.uk. You can get me on Instagram or Twitter. It's at stayholelife or on facebook.com forward slash stayhole. I would love to hear from you. Thank you to Purple Planet for all the music in this episode. And as always, thank you to you for listening. I am forever grateful. And remember to stay whole.